would you put a peace over my uh, nervous tongue? Um, would you put a peace in my uh, just nervous stomach? Would you speak through me? Um, and God, would you call your people to service? Would you be the one who calls and not me, not David, not a song, not lyrics, but God, that your heart would draw your people to serve faithfully? And so, God, we, uh, we call this, we're two or more believing this in faith, and so, Lord, we stand that is truth based on your word, and uh, we pray it all in King Jesus' great name, amen. Well, um, if you've been here at Living Hope, you know that we're going through the book of First, not First John, John, sorry. We're going through the book of John, trying to find out who the true Jesus is over uh, the summer we started I don't, does anybody know when we started six months ago? Yeah, it's like the 17th or 18th passage. If you, it's your first time at Living Hope, we start in verse 1 of a book of the Bible, and we work all the way through the last verse of that book before we move on. We believe that's uh, just a faithful way to present God's Word. And so we find ourselves today in John chapter 13, and I'm so thankful that David preached last week because he did an incredible job covering how Christ is sufficient to die on the cross for our sins. If you missed that sermon, I highly encourage you to go check it out on YouTube or Facebook. I think it's on the app as well. It's incredibly encouraging. There's a lot of truth in that sermon. And I was, I'm very thankful myself because that took some stuff off of my plate that I had to cover because I know y'all think sometimes maybe the services are long, but from somebody who likes to talk, I could probably stay up here for the next two hours. I won't. Don't worry. <laughs> I will let y'all go eventually. <laughs> um, but when we find ourselves in John chapter 13, Jesus has one of those moments where he flips everything upside down. I love it when Jesus does the unexpected. Because that's just a testament that whatever our expectations can be, even the most godly among us, what our expectations can be, we can totally miss the movement of God and what he's focused on. But in John chapter 13, I'm going to read the first 20 verses, and then uh, we're going to dive in. And so I'm reading out of the ESV, uh, if you are wondering. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answers him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answers him, If I do not wash your, you, you have no share with me. 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was about to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, you are right, for I am so. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just if I have just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And so Jesus has this great teaching moment at dinner time. I love that because I think we should have more family-style supper meals. I come from a big family, and every week we used to get together. There'd be literally 22 of us eating every week, and it was awesome. I loved it. And I, I want to encourage y'all that if you aren't doing the meals of eight, join one of those. Get to know the fellowship. Get to know your brothers and sisters who would call Living Hope home. But in this in this dinner, Jesus takes a break to do what only servants did, to serve in one of the lowest ways possible, to wash the feet of the disciples. But in the, in the first four verses, the sovereignty of God is put on full display, in my opinion. You see, Jesus knows that his time has come. He knows that from this day on, he is headed directly to the cross. He knows what's at the end of the finish line. Yet, Jesus does not quit running the race, does he? I think Jesus actually pushes the gas pedal a little harder to serve more faithfully because he knows, hey, I have such a limited time here on this earth. I've got to accomplish the task which God prepared before that he should walk in it. Have you ever thought that God gave Jesus a task? That's crazy to think, isn't it? Because Jesus is God, right? Spend the rest of the afternoon trying to figure out the Trinity. Let me know how far you get. <laughs> Rich will probably love to have coffee with you about that. Um, but in the, first, in the first four verses, you see uh, the first point in the sermon notes that Jesus serves faithfully until the mission is accomplished. And if I were Jesus, the undisputed heavyweight king of eternity, if I knew that I was going to the cross, and I knew that Judas was sitting at the same table with me, who would sell me out, and I knew that Peter would deny me three times, look, y'all better be glad I'm not Christ. I do not have that much compassion. 
I would have been like, no, uh uh-uh, we're not doing this. Like, I'm getting the people who I love who don't turn their backs on me to eat my last supper with me. But God in his sovereignty and his knowledge and his election chose those 12 men to change the world. And so Jesus serves faithfully until the mission or the task is accomplished. How many of you have ever been on a mission or a task that all of a sudden became extremely difficult and you literally thought you could not complete it? I did. I was 14 years old. I had 65 pounds strapped to my back, and I was 68 miles into the Appalachian Trail. It had rained every day. I was a little teenager. I was scared. All of a sudden, I found myself, I was too slow to keep up with the fast group, and I was too fast for the old guys, and I found myself in the middle on this rise, and it was right early in the morning, the sun was barely coming up, and there was fog everywhere. You can imagine what a little teenager was thinking at that moment. I'm going to die. I'm done. This is terrible. I hate this. Right? Yeah, I had so much excitement building into this trip. We had spent a couple years training for this trip, which was ultimately training for the next summer that we would go out to New Mexico and hike a lot more miles. But I found myself beat down, battered, and unable to finish the task set before me in my own power. Blessedly, God gave me friends on that same trip who picked me up. And little did I know it at the time, I wasn't a Christian, but little did I know that he was helping me along. He was giving me a great illustration. When I thought I was all alone on a mountaintop, surrounded by fog, I couldn't see another person. There was somebody with me in that moment. And as you identify your calling and you step out into that calling, and you chase that calling, there will be times where you lose sight of the finish line. There'll be times where you think there's nowhere near enough resources to accomplish this task. This cannot be done. But aren't you glad that we serve a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Who has control over every single thing? We serve the king Jesus, who spoke everything into existence, who heals the blind, gives the lame the ability to walk. He gives people like me who are terrified to speak the ability to speak. He can give you the ability he wants. I'll go even as far to say he wants to give you the ability to fulfill that mission that God's given you in your life. That's what brings him the most glory. When we find our purpose in this world to see the kingdom of God shown and proclaimed here on earth as it is in heaven. And we only do that when we seek him. You can't find out your task unless you find out where the racetrack is, right? It it would make no sense for a cross-country runner to run down Highway 441. He'd get hit by a semi-truck. That wouldn't make sense. It would only make sense for the fastest man on earth. I just forgot his name. Sorry, it's in my... who? Usain Bolt. Yeah, sorry. I had to walk over to my notes. I lost it for a second. It would make no sense for Usain Bolt to run a 100-yard dash over here on Lexington Heights, would it? No. He wasn't designed to run on the blacktop. He was designed to run on a racetrack. And ultimately, I think he was designed to give glory to God through that. 
And so let's pray, you know, that sports athletes would do that. But the thing is, is that when we find ourselves stuck in the middle of the trail of our calling, and we can't see the end of the trail, we can't see where we've come, we can't see anybody around us, we have to rely on the truth that God proclaims in his word. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Because it's his good work that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in it. And he has called you and ultimately equipped you and prepared you to fulfill that good work according to Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10. And we see that Jesus is not following his own will and desire. This is a really hard concept for me to understand. Jesus is fully God in this moment. He's no less God than he's ever been. Yet, over and over and over and over and over again, when you look in the scriptures, Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the will of him who sent me. If, if Christ is submitting to God's will, how much more should we? I mean, seriously, y'all. This is the guy who if you tried to wrestle with, would let you have a little fun, and then he'd flick your hip and it'd pop out a joint. I mean, come on. In John chapter 4, verse 34, he says, Jesus says, my food is to, do, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John chapter 5, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John chapter 6, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So you see that each member of the Trinity is unique in deity and unique in purpose and ministry. But they're all on equal standing with one another. Jesus isn't less God than God the Father or less God than God the Holy Spirit. They're all equal and unique. And if you want... Charles Spurgeon has a great quote about that. He said, if you try to understand the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. But if you don't understand the Trinity, you'll lose your faith. And so when we submit ourselves to the plans and the calling and the will of God the Father, he gives us big tasks to accomplish. I can remember when living hope was only but a dream in the, in the mind of David Holt. We were sitting there at Watkinsville, and I remember he told me about it one time, and I heard, as clear as I've ever heard from God, go. And I didn't want to. I went, but I can remember what people were saying. You are crazy. Are you kidding me? You're going to launch a church plant and go buy that property on that side of town? Are you serious? That is not going to work. That is insane. That does not make sense. But aren't you glad that God put it in David's heart to start this church? Amen. I literally would not have met my wife if it wouldn't have been for this church. Which is, like, seriously, it's incredible when you think of the sovereignty of God working in that. But in a, if you want to look for election and, like, the calling and purpose, go to the book of Romans. I would highly encourage everyone in this room to do a study on calling an election. It's, it'll be a great study for you. Um, but in verse 3, he says, Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. 
So Jesus knows whose he is. Jesus knows where he's going and where he's come from. And the task that he has been put on, put on mission to accomplish. Do I need to switch mics? Um, and so, but Jesus acts out of that knowledge. You see, our calling is not determined by our qualifications. It's determined by Christ's qualifications in God's plan. I could never do what some of you do. I am not that smart. Tom Schultz starts talking about what he does for a job, and I get lost literally by the third word. I'm done. I'm like, it's way beyond my mind. Rich Saplita starts giving apologetics, and he starts getting into like string theory and things like that, and I'm gone. Like, okay, cool. I'll buy another cup of coffee, and we'll sit together. <laughs> like, I can't keep up that on that level of intellect. But then you have people who love people, and sometimes I feel like I can't love that well. But you know, that's not my purpose. That's not my calling. Jesus stayed focused on his purpose and his calling the entire time he, were, he was here on earth. And when he was sent to earth, he knew that he was headed straight to the cross. The cross was not plan B, guys. The cross was plan A. It was always God's sovereign plan for a new covenant to be created so that you and I could have a right standing relationship with God the Father if we repent of our sins and accept Him as our Lord and Savior. And so Jesus comes and He knows that He has a task to accomplish. And He doesn't sell out when He gets to the end of the race. He doesn't turn the fourth lap in a mile race and He crosses the 300 meter mark. And if you there's four laps in a, in a one-mile race in a, ra in a racetrack. Jesus is turning the last corner in his mile-long race. And what do you do, Jonathan, when you turn the last corner in your race? You give it a kick, right? You lay everything you've got on the ground. And when I thought about this analogy and what Jesus was doing, I thought of a man in our church body. His name's Andy Hines, and I'd like for him to come up and share very briefly about what God has done in his life on this term that David defined as refirement and not retirement. And so, um, Andy, do you want to come all the way up? Do you need a hand? I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm making fun of you. Andy is like maybe the funniest guy in the room, so that's... <laughs> Kevin asked me to give a testimony, and so uh, I took some notes. And, and um, so, born at an early age, I started out life as a child, and the Lord said, That's not what He's looking for, Andy. So, Julia and I came to Living Hope. The Lord had spoke, been speaking to us for years about getting out of the church. We were in 25 years, we'd been in the same church. Um, the Holy Spirit wasn't as active there as we needed to be. and and so one thing led to another, and the Lord led us to, to living hope. When we got here, we knew immediately the Lord had, had sent us here. Now, I had not had ch any classes on hearing the Lord uh, on, on that Lucius is going to be teaching or Cindy Mackey. But I went back and checked my notes, and I had been hearing from the Lord and writing them down and not realizing 
uh, what he did. And, and one of the things that came up was I sensed the Lord wanted me to, to retire after 43 years and become an intercessor at Living Hope. And I didn't, I didn't know what an intercessor was. I had read some things about him, but we were, we were hesitant to leave the church that we were in because we'd been there 25 years, and we're not ecclesiastical butterflies. We don't just go around from church to church and, and check things out. But then I read this word, and it says, and I wrote this down <coughs> on August of 2013. Julia and I were contemplating how to tell everyone we were leaving our former church when I heard the Lord say this, it doesn't matter how much bread you have, without water you will die. So he's talking about, you, get, you can really get the word of God, but if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to make it. So we knew we were supposed to go to Living Hope. Then later on that year, the Lord spoke to my heart about retiring and being an intercessor for David Holt. And so I didn't know what that was, but I agreed to do it. And in the process of doing it, I found out I didn't know anything about intercession. And, and during the whole time, whole first year that we retired, the Lord was teaching me about me and things I need to learn about. And so I just t tell you that walk where he tells you to go. It's interesting. It's not easy. And it's not fun sometimes, but it's the best thing we've ever done. I wouldn't trade living hope for anything. And I've been able to go to Uganda and Malawi and, and help there, but it's it was stepping out where the Lord told us to go, doing what he asked us to do that really made the difference. And um, it was scary, but uh, praise God we've made it. Thanks, Andy. And he didn't share, probably because he's too humble, but this man is responsible for the boiler room team, a lot of the prayer ministry, seriously, the prophetic team we have here at Living Hope. And so without him serving faithfully and listening to the call of God to step out of the boat, probably jump out of the boat is a better description, <laughs> we probably wouldn't have those teams. And so... It's a little hard to jump out of the boat sometimes when your foot's still on the dock. <laughs> I, I got wet a little bit, but I'm in the boat now. <laughs> okay. He's in the boat. I'm thankful he's in the boat. But I thought that was a great testimony to you, especially because as a young guy, it's easy for me to look into somebody who's worked for 30 or 40 years and to say, hey, it's not okay to retire and it's probably really easy for somebody who's been working for 40 years to look at me and say, hey, be quiet, youngin. You don't know what you're talking about. But the thing is, when we look in Scripture, we don't find retirement, do we? We don't. And I love that I can say that here and not get kicked off staff. Thank you. But, but Andy heard from God a direction that he was supposed to go. He heard a calling. And he went. And he gave up financial security at the time, you know. He gave up what the world would say would be the wise thing, the smart thing to do. But as he said, I, will, I would say it this way. When you step into God's calling and you start living out your life according to his plan, it is the funnest, craziest, scariest, wildest roller coaster you'll ever get on in your life. And it is terrifying at times. And I love roller coasters, but it, you will feel like you're going to die. But then there's other times where you'll hit such a high 
that you will never experience anything like it before that. And so as we move ahead in the, in the scripture here, I want to stay faithful to the word. I think Jesus does something extremely unique. And you have to look at the context of the culture to understand what was happening here. Jesus rose during supper to wash the disciples' feet. In their culture, your feet got washed when you entered the home. The head of the dinner table did not get down to serve other people. He wouldn't have taken his garments off. He wouldn't have got down and washed the dirtiest part of the disciples as a a sermon illustration. This is what I love. Jesus breaks through the lines of cultural expectations to present the gospel to those who cannot see it. And we need to do the same in our own lives. But the thing is, is that in this service, Jesus is serving all people. Because it wasn't just enough that Jesus washed the feet, but in case you didn't know, not only were slaves only allowed to wash the feet of guests, non-Jewish Slaves were only allowed to wash the feet of guests. So not only did they separate people, but they also were slightly racist. And it's okay to say that. But it's not okay for the heart of a believer to have any, cor- any form of segregation when it comes to serving. If you don't serve somebody because they voted red or blue, shame on you. If you don't serve somebody because of the color of their skin, you're upsetting God's heart. If you don't serve somebody because of their gender, you're upsetting God's heart. If you don't serve somebody because of their financial status, their intellect, their athletic ability, whatever type of segregation it is that you, that you may feel in your heart, you got something you need to work out with Jesus. And it's hard to say that. Because I know, me saying that, that there's times in my life where I don't want to serve certain types of people or groups of people. But I have to make war on my flesh so that I can proclaim the glory of God to those around me. Because guys, if the church doesn't push through segregation, we're no different than the rest of the world. If we're not willing to serve the person who's going to kill us, at the dinner table, then what makes us any different from the guy who's going to kill Jesus at the dinner table? If we're not willing to serve the people who vote a different way, what makes us any different than the rest of the world? If we're not willing to serve regardless of race or gender or whatever it is, sexual orientation, whatever it is, what makes us any different? Because guess what? We are not the judge. There's one judge. There's no jury. You're not on it. And you know what the Bible actually says about your good works? Yeah, they're filthy rags, but the, but the Hebrew behind that is not uh, okay for me to say through the mic. Go look that up. And so when you look at Jesus serving all people equally, he serves Judas knowing Don't ever make the mistake of thinking that Jesus did not know that Judas was not going to sell him out. He knew. 
and he still loved and served Judas. That means the people who you feel unsafe around and you get scared, there's places like that that I've been in my life where I was scared to serve in a community because I was feared for my, like, my actual like, safety. Well, guess what? We serve a God who if he calls you to go to that people group, he's going to protect you. And I can say this comfortably because I've told my wife many times, but if the worst thing that could ever happen is I die, guess what? I get to heaven just a brief glimpse before my wife does. And that's okay. Because heaven's going to be awesome. I can't wait to go, but he's given me a time and a task to accomplish here on earth, so I must remain and be faithful. But Jesus also breaks the border of economic status by making himself fulfill the role of a servant, of a slave, of ownership. So Jesus serves the man who's going to kill him, ultimately who's going to lead to his death. He serves breaking through economic and social status. But don't forget what Peter's going to do. Jesus will very soon tell Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's going to say, no, 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 no way, Lord. There's no way. And I love Peter because I see a lot of Peter in myself. I'm like, I love Jesus, and then he totally misses Jesus. And then he's like, I love Jesus, and he's getting it right, and then he totally drops the ball. Don't we do that in our own lives? I mean, don't, like if we're being honest, we think we're so in tune with Christ, but then uh, something happens in our own lives like this, we're like, whoa, why would you wash my feet? No, 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 don't touch me. I'm not worthy to be touched by you. But Jesus says that we are worthy for our feet to be washed. We are worthy to serve everyone. And we're actually called to serve everyone. And then Jesus has this great, like, I love, I love what he does, because if you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus always takes our expectations of what the Scripture says at, like, this level, and he takes it up a step, right? He said, hey, if you hate somebody, it's the same as committing murder. If you look at another wife, it's the same as cheating on your wife. He always takes the bar another step. And so he says, hey, if you're unwilling to wash the feet, or to let me wash your feet, then you're unwilling to let me wash you clean. And so sometimes we've got, this can be hard, I think this is a little nugget, it's hard to let other people serve us. But sometimes we have to accept the help of the body to see the task accomplished. That can be really hard to do for somebody who's a doer and wants to do everything by myself and wants to build something. I want to set the goals. I want to see it done. I want to see it fulfilled. It can be really hard to just like wait and allow somebody to serve. But the next thing that Jesus does here, and I see this in all of Jesus' testimony, his 33 years here on earth, he serves in humility. Jesus doesn't serve for his own name. He serves for the glory of God. And oftentimes, if we're not careful, service will become Facebook status and Instagram likes and cultural affirmation. And we'll lose the heart of service. Because as I've already quoted, 
our best works are nothing but filthy rags. And it's a nasty rag. It's not like from the kitchen. It's a nasty rag that he's talking about. And our good works bring nothing to the table in terms of salvation. It is only by the cross, only by Jesus' actions, only from what he did that we are allowed to take part in substitutionary atonement that he paid for our sins so that we may be made new and afresh and whole and actually have a relationship with God. Thank goodness we don't have to kill thousands of animals a year anymore. I'm so thankful. Because I like eating deer, I like hunting deer, but I really don't want to kill and waste the meat. I mean, Kevin, I bet Kevin agrees with me. I would hate to waste that much meat. But the thing is, is that Jesus serves so faithfully in this moment. And if you have your Bibles, flip over to Philippians chapter 2. Somebody shout when you get there so I give you enough time. Here, okay, great. That was fast. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's a big statement. Though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because he did that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I think this section of Scripture in Philippians chapter 2 lays it out perfectly. Why Jesus, excuse me, had to humble himself. Because Jesus sees that equality with God is nothing to play with. That you cannot get on his level to speak a young, like the teenager's words. To speak the teenager's words, he is so lit that you're not. You're salty because he's so lit if you're working in your, own, in your own life. Look up the word lit on YouTube if you need. But the thing is, is that Jesus... Don't forget, Jesus never lowered the amount of his godliness or his 100% part of the Trinity ever while he was on earth. But he still humbles himself to serve God. That means that the smartest in this room, the most beautiful in this room, the coolest in this room, the most wealthy in this room, guess what? Are nothing compared to God. When we look at our own qualifications and our own talents to accomplish a task, God will sometimes laugh at you and not allow you to accomplish that task. It's happened. How many times 
Have you seen churches try to start something and they try to change it up to be cooler or hipper or something and it actually leads to the church's closing? I've seen it here in Athens three times in just my short life. A church chases something out of their own gusto, out of their own desire, and ultimately it ends up leading to it closing. And it's so sad. That's why I'm so thankful for the elders here at Living Hope because they wouldn't let that happen. <laughs> and it's, I'm so thankful. They have probably 300 years of wisdom between them. I would feel that's a safe number to say. But they won't, I'm not trying to be mean, sorry. Um, they, they will not let us get proud and prideful in our own hearts of our accomplishments. And I can assure you that we as a church love you enough that if we see something hindering, we will in a very loving, 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 loving way say, hey, brother, you need to check this. Maybe this is why you're not able to fulfill that calling. Maybe there's a log in your eye. You know? But the thing is, is that Jesus humbles himself to the point of death, knowing that, the, that his time is coming very soon. His time to go back to the Father is approaching rapidly. He sees the finish line. He's turned the last corner in a very long race that he has run extremely well. And he wants to hear, well done, thy good and thy faithful servant. And how much more should we want to hear that? Right? When I die, I want to run to the arms of the Father. If I don't, I don't know if I'll fall to my face out of terror because he's so perfect and holy or if I'll be able to run to his arms. I don't know. Depends on what kind of theology you believe. But when I die, I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear, turn for I never knew you. That breaks my heart that there are people that we live next to, that there are people on your sports teams, that there are people that you meet at the grocery store, at the coffee house, whatever it is, in the classroom, on the job site, that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And you know the greatest act of service? Does anybody know what the, ver the scripture is about that? To lay down your own life for someone else's? That's a big call, isn't it? For me, it's kind of scary. Because I, I kind of like living. It's kind of fun most of the time. Now that I don't have to swing a hammer, it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> but the thing is, is that Jesus knows that he has to finish the race well. That he has to serve in humility. That he has to serve the will of God so that the sovereignty of God can be displayed to all those around him. He knows that his time has come. He knows that his dearest followers will turn their back on him. He knows that Judas will sell him out. He knows that he will have to be separated for God for the first time and the only time in all of eternity so that you and I can have a relationship with God. That, I've read medical accounts of why Jesus sweat blood, but I really think that's what broke his heart. 
He's never, before that moment, he had never known separation from the full Trinity. And he had to make the choice to submit to God's calling, to submit to his sovereignty, to separate himself from God for you and I. That's the hard thing. And if he gave up the best relationship status ever so that you and I could start a relationship status, what should we give up in our lives so that others can start that relationship status? How should we serve our community and our friends and our neighbors who don't know Jesus so that we can show the light of the gospel, we can share the truth of the gospel, the full gospel with them so that the kingdom will come and it will be here on heaven, I mean on earth as it is in heaven. And so I want to encourage you church body that today is the day to step out and serve with wild abandonment. It's time that we let go of our inabilities, of our fears, of our actions, of all kinds of things. And as much as I love serving outside of the church, and if you know me, I really do love that, there are some places that we need help here at Living Hope. I mean, we just do. The church has been growing there's a lot more people coming. There's a, when more people come, that means more opportunities for us to serve one another. It's not more things for the paid people to do. It's not, hey, let the paid staff go do all the evangelism. Let the smart guys like Rich go wrestle with the atheist. Let, you know, the guys like Lee DeLoach go love on the college students. I don't have to do that. No, he's called you to go and share the gospel in your living room on the Lazy Boy with TV on. I don't think that's what the verse says. What does the Great Commission say? That's actually a question. Okay, all at the same time. Go and... Wow, the teenagers make you all look really weak right now. I'm just being honest. <laughs> to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And this is where the power comes. What's the last part of that verse? For I am with you till the end of the age. See, your service isn't based on your gusto and your ability and your talents and your stuff that you bring to the table. Your ability to serve is totally holistically bound up in what Jesus did on the cross in the work of the Spirit in your life. You can do nothing apart from the Father. That's a hard statement, and I love you. I really love y'all. I really do. That's why I say it, because we... And I wanted to end up in James 2, but I ran out of time because I talked too much. But go to James chapter 2, and you'll find the support for the statement at the bottom of your sermon notes. Faith without action is no faith at all. True faith reveals itself through our actions. And so I'm going to say something right now, and I don't want, if you are maybe a little hurt by it, maybe it's the Holy Spirit, maybe it's me. I'll let you seek God's wisdom on that. If you say you have faith and you're not serving 
in some capacity inside the church and outside the church, it's time to take a little check on what's in here. It's okay for me to say that because Paul says that we should test ourselves daily. Find out where your heart is. What are the obstacles that are stopping you from serving those who don't know Jesus? And make war on those obstacles. If you don't know how to make war on those obstacles, talk to people. I love getting guys going. That's like, I really enjoy that. If you need somebody to like not yell at you, but really strongly encourage you, I got you. If you need somebody to really like be peaceful and calm, that's probably not me. <laughs> but it's probably why I work with teenagers, because they're like always hyper, always 100%. But seriously, guys, there are 17 opportunities for you to serve on Wednesdays or Sundays on this sheet of paper. But guess what? Service doesn't stop at the property lines of living hope. Because if we're only a church who helps each other with nothing more than a holy huddle, if we don't help the community around us, if we don't serve those who don't know Jesus around us, we're nothing more than secret keepers. And aren't you glad that Living Hope isn't a secret keeper? If you were here three weeks ago, four weeks ago, at the block party, you saw 140 backpacks given out, shared with the gospel. The gospel was presented and proclaimed. And we touched the lives of many of those around us. If you see people on Sundays, give them a thank you. I am so thankful for the coffee ministry. Man, I love those people so much. <laughs> the people who do the things that nobody sees. Say thank you to the guy who blows off. And I'm not mentioning anybody's name because I don't want you to think of one person. Say thank you to the guy who blows off all the leaves every Sunday morning so that you don't have to walk through them. Say thankful to the guys and the girls who help in the parking lot ministry to make sure that we don't wreck every Sunday. Say thankful to the guys who clean this church every single week, to the ladies who make the copies of these notes so that we can have it, who stuff the copies of the notes so that we can get the whole packet together. Y'all, it's okay, it's okay to talk to each other and to encourage one another. Because when living hope becomes a body that serves more than we look at our own selves, we'll change this, this area. And we're already changing this area. I firmly believe. I love that we sang Hosanna. I see a near revival coming. And you can see it in Athens. There's a unity between many churches that's happening. So let's serve with a heart to see the kingdom come and the word proclaimed and Christ glorified and magnified above all things. And so I think the worship team, they're going to come and they're going to they're gonna lead us in a song um, of response. And so I, I ran out of time, but... If you get some time, maybe during lunch, this would be a good conversation starter. Go to James chapter 2. I think it's, it, pick, it starts in verse uh, 14, and it goes through verse uh, 26. Maybe read that passage and challenge each other. What does it look like for me to live a life of faith that shows my faith by my actions so that I don't ever have to tell somebody that I'm a Christian? but that your actions would show them.
and your service would show them. And so I'm going to uh, pray real quick while I give them some time to go, and I'm going to get out of Miss Hannah's way because um, y'all don't want me singing, that's for sure. And, uh, yeah, and then y'all join, join us in some worship and some response. Uh, Father God, thank you, Lord, so much uh, for your son, Jesus, for his choosing to die on the cross, for his willingness to sacrifice his life of godliness for us. And so, Lord, would we live a life worthy of the manner in which we've been called to serve those outside of this church and inside this church with just a desire that goes beyond all things so that you may be glorified, God, above everything. And it is in Christ's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.
Hey, before you run, we've got two guys, uh, Lee and Rich, who are going to give us a brief announcement of some really cool. Yeah, y'all come on up. Uh, they're going to give us some cool announcements. I'm going to stay on the second row, so I'm actually taller than them. Uh, but you don't need, uh, well, <laughs> so uh, this is Rich Saplita. Uh, if you don't know him, he's incredible. Here he is. Oh, yeah, just a real quick announcement uh, for any students. Even if you're not a student, one of the things I've, uh, another responsibility I've assumed this fall is I've been, been invited to be the chapter director for Ratio Christi. It's a campus apologetics group at the University of Georgia. We're going to be meeting on Tuesday nights. Thank you. <laughs> you know anybody who might be interested, pass along my contact information. We'll be meeting on Tuesday nights uh, in the MLC. I still want to call it the SLC. Um, at set from 7 to 8.30. And so the idea is to learn, you know, we want you guys to, as you're at UGA, love God with all your hearts, learn to do that more, certainly. Also learn how to love God with your mind and learn how to effectively present and defend the Christian worldview. So that's what we're about. My email is rsuplita, R-S-U-P-L-I-T-A at gmail.com. My phone number is 706-206-2023. So if you want to get in contact with me or put anyone into contact with me, just let me know. Thank you. This all ties together really great this morning. Great word, by the way. Um, how many of you would like to be instrumental in changing somebody's life forever? Um, you know, the facts are in the American Christian's very few of us ever lead anyone to Christ or even instrumental in someone coming to Christ. And I didn't want to be one of those facts, so I got involved with the Great Exchange. And uh, it sounded a little bit scary, a little bit at first, but if you'll come out on Thursday with us between 10 and 2, maybe for just 30 minutes, we'll show you how you can share your faith and how easy it is in a conversational manner, not in something that is, you know, going to going to scare you or scare them it's just it's it's pretty easy and now i share my faith all the time in fact i carry one of these all the time with me and end up talking somebody through it if you can talk somebody through this they there's a good chance they're going to come to christ and i thought that you know 90 percent of the people would blow me off i found that 90 percent of the people are interested in talking about christ and so um if um, I'm going to be out under the canopy, um, show you how you can do a survey out after the service. So if you'd like to come out and come join, I'd love for you to do that. John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me, I chose you. And, appoint, and, and appointed you that you should share your faith and lead others to Christ. And if, uh, thank you so much, both of you. And if you, uh, if you filled this out, and I really, I really hope that you will take time to pray and ask God which one of these boxes to check, because there's no box that says other. They all have a purpose. They, uh, there's two ushers who will be standing out there with the, uh, sheet with the baskets just fold it in half throw it in there they're not going to look at it there's no pressure we're not going to condemn you if you don't we're not a church who does that if you're visiting um 
But I do really want to encourage you to join on Wednesday nights. We've been having a good time, the youth have, for about five, four and a half years on Wednesday nights. And we're glad that the rest of the church is going to join us. But if you want an awesome time, come out this Thursday to the Great Exchange. Because it will ignite your faith for discipleship like nothing else. And then learn how to defend it from Rich. And it'll be a great time. Amen. I think Andy has something to share with us. Father, we want to thank you so much for what you've done in bringing Kevin on board, Lord. We thank you for him, and we, we anoint him right now, and we just pray over him. We thank you for bringing his ministry here, his encouragement here, uh, his speaking here, Father. We just thank you for that. We pray that you will continue to bless him and us through his ministry. We thank you, Father, for providing for he and Caroline's financial needs above and beyond all they ask or think, Father. We thank you for that. Thank you for him having the courage to step out and do this. We love him and we thank you. Now we ask you to, to guide him through the rest of this day, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all go be the church.